Drinkers and welcome to the latest episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I remain your host, Jason JY, that man on the other side of the video feed that none of you can see, remains Joshua M.H. Hatton. Lovely to see you, Joshua. Lovely to be seen. <laughs> M.H. Hatton. <laughs> and we're, we're ready to spend an episode today. If you are new to the podcast, and, and please, there's there's no way you are, but it's Thanksgiving week and maybe you're looking for a little break from family and you're, yeah. and you're thinking, I'll listen into this extra extra, see what this is all about. Let me tell you, every episode, Joshua or I bring, oftentimes, a whiskey-related news story to the attention of the other. We read it in the first half, we riff on it in the second half, and mm-hmm. we always... You can, you can time your Thanksgiving turkey, only a portion of it, not the whole cook, but you can time us to a tight 35. What, <laughs> what will that get done, Joshua? A, a thigh, maybe? Yeah, if it's just the 30, you know what? It's been 34 years since I've even <laughs> had turkey. So I, I, met, I imagine 35 Have you ever cooked a turkey with, in your life? I have, yeah. You've cooked to, a I turkey? Used, I used to help my mom. Okay, yeah. okay. You've yep. been there. You've been in the kitchen. You've been the man dressing the turkey. Oh, yeah. I didn't have shoes on. It was, it was the whole thing. Well, to be honest, you did put pants on it. That was your first mistake. <laughs> pants? Like UK pants or American pants? Why not both, Joshua? <laughs> Why not both? So so that's how this, this podcast normally works. We do have a, a whiskey-adjacent story to get to today that was sent in by Ian Bruce, a tremendous, tremendous supporter Mm -hmm. of One Nation Under Whiskey and Extra Extra. Before we do get to that, we do have some sad whiskey news to be sharing this week. Yes. And just before we started recording, you alerted me, Joshua, to the passing of Dominic Mm Roscrow, who has been an incredibly well-regarded and incredibly supportive whiskey writer for many decades many decades and and he was young 61 years young um a surprising passing and seeing friends on facebook and instagram and and just all pockets of the of the internet sharing their stories sharing pictures of him he he left a hole for a lot of people and if you are one of those people our, our thoughts go out with you. He, he definitely left a hole. Yeah, back in the early days of Twitter, he was, he was there. He was present. He yeah. was one of those named journalists. And we've, we've kind of dipped into this a few times with Dave Broom when he's been on, on One Nation Under Whiskey. But Dominic took the bloggers seriously and, and mm-hmm. saw the value of them. And I actually interviewed him when one of his books came out. Ah. Uh, this was, gosh, 12, 13, 14 years ago. And he was incredibly generous with his time. And I I felt on a par with him as we were talking whiskey and nerding about whiskey. He was he was a cool guy and I'm I'm really sad to see his passing. That's that's a nice story. I I I I didn't know that. I don't know if I remembered you interviewed him. He and I had, you know, just conversations back and forth on Facebook Messenger or through Twitter private comments or, you know, whatever. Never met the guy. Always seemed lovely to me. And he he cracked a few jokes, which were, were always fun and welcome. And uh, yeah, sad to see 
someone go? Started his career as a music journalist before uh, transitioning into whiskey. See, I knew I liked him. I knew I liked him. I, see, that's yeah. <laughs> that's where I thought your story <laughs> was going there. So. No, no. Um, so, so Dom, you you will be missed, and uh, you were a good presence while you were amongst us uh, on this planet. Indeed. So, with that said, you, Joshua, are yes. in charge of of bringing this article to our attention. Yeah. What do you want to tell us? So, I'm at the helm here, and again, this article came to us from Ian Bruce, listener Ian Bruce, who's based in Scotland. And this article is in the uh, Daily 750 website. And the headline is entitled, What Sherry's New Regulations Mean for the Region? And ah. li- listeners will know, you know, we've done Sherry episodes before. We were in Hareth. We've interviewed um, a gentleman at Lestau, which was a wonderful time there. It's a, it something was. That was a great day. Yeah, right? Uh, it's near and dear to our hearts as a drink, near and dear to our hearts as something that provides different flavors to whiskey. So, so let's. And, and just yeah. before you go on there, not not that we need the excuse for it. You and I really do drink sherry at all times of year. But oh, yeah. sitting here on the cusp of Thanksgiving, oh. and and you coming to visit with your family, the sherry will be getting drunk. There's oh, about it. They do. So the author is Dr. Jacopo Mazio. He's a UK-based freelance drinks journalist. Jacopo. Um, Jacopo. So here we go. Uh, Sherry, and this starts off with a quote by one Andre Tamers, by the way. Sherry is one of the most mysterious places in the wine world, says Andre Tamers, the founder of North Carolina-based De Maison Selection Wine Imports. Ah. Quote continues, it's like peeling an onion. The whole time you're peeling (laughs) layers. It's so magical, of course, but it makes you cry. Oh, gosh. Wow. That's from Tamers? Yeah, it's from Tamers. Oh, that's a good quote. I like Mm -hmm. that a lot. To substantiate Tamers' metaphor... A further set of layers were announced in September 2021 <laughs> <laughs> uh, for uh, Jerez, Jerez Zerez Sherry Dio, which is, what does Dio stand for again, Jason? Denomination uh, of origin. Yeah, denomination yes. of origin. Yes. And Menzania de San Lusar. I pr- apologize if I slaughter <laughs> that one and, and that Dio. When the region's Consejo Regulador. Oh my gosh. Uh, Spanish speaking people around remember the world. Time, <laughs> remember that time I had to say all the Chinese names for extra, extra? <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and enjoy these pronunciations in this episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> when that region's Consejo Regulador, it sounds like someone who's in charge of uh, regulations approved a major regulatory overhaul to, quote, propel our designations into the future, end quote, mm-hmm. as President Cesar Saldana put it. Last week, following lengthy delays, the local authority officially greenlit the suite of new regulations. Some of the changes give increased rights to the region's peripheral areas. Wine maturation will be granted across the entirety of of the Sherry Do, rather than the municipalities of Jerez, 
de la Frontera, San Luzar de Barameda, and El Puerto de Santa Maria. And any vine- <laughs> go easy, Jason. And any vineyard will be allowed to apply for Jerez superior status. So they're expanding uh, the piece of the pie that can make sherry within Spain. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, producers will be able to better communicate the grape's provenance by stating a pajo or area of origin on the label and the term enrama, which indicates unfiltered and un and unfined, I think he means unrefined, phenos. Uh, uh, not necessarily. Unfined because you phenos? would use you would use fining agents, so he could be uh, talking about unfining. Uh, yeah. There you go. So that will be more tightly regulated. There will also be impacts on wine style as the regulations involve the return of six neglected local varieties. The creation of the new Fino Viejo category, the modification of minimum sugar content for both dry and sweeter wines, and crucially, the end of mandatory fortification. Oh, that's interesting. So you can call... Okay, let's let's continue. So keep, keep that in mind. The potential end to mandif- mandatory fortification. Okay. This major regulatory overhaul is designed to address multiple consumer needs. Not only does it provide drinkers with enhanced transparency and a broader range of wine styles by embracing and promoting the premiumization of the sherry category, the new regulations also hope to increase Sherry's appeal to a younger generation of imbibers. I'm loving mm-hmm. this article. This has me mm-hmm. so excited for Sherry. So here we go with a quote. In the past, we were very successful in positioning Sherry as a drink, says Saldana. One part <laughs> Makes of this- for a terrible blanket, though. Great drink, <laughs> terrible blanket. <laughs> Hope that's not too controversial. But it works well as pants for turkeys. That's that's the thing. Oh, does it ever? <laughs> Holy moly. The quote continues, one part of the strategy for the future of sherry is for it to become more of a wine. Everything we do has to be with an objective of repositioning sherry where it belongs in the world of wine. And, and that's this is a really interesting point. Just quick little... <laughs> Quick little riff here. When I talk about sherry to people, they often take the approach that a lot of bourbon drinkers take or or scotch drinkers take where they say, well, I like bourbon, but I don't like whiskey. I like mm-hmm. scotch, but I don't like whiskey. Meanwhile, both bourbon mm-hmm. and scotch are whiskey. And, and so you hear this, they say, well, I, I like wine, but I don't like sherry. Meanwhile, sherry is wine. So, yep. Anyway, the next part has a subheader, which is simply the return of neglected varieties. Yeah, that's always an exciting sentence to hear or read. Yeah. As the new regulations come into play, the DO will see the return of six neglected local grape varieties. Beba, Cañocaso, Matuo Castellano, Ano... Matuo de Pilas, Peruno, 
and Vigiriega. <laughs> I hope somebody just tuned into this podcast in the last 15 seconds and is like, what the hell has happened to, to that, Joshua and Jason? This makes, you know, I, I listen to like... You listen to news reporters who can actually speak Spanish, and then when they kick on the Spanish, they're nailing it. I'm the absolute opposite of that. Anyway, producers will immediately will be immediately allowed to use the grapes both in blends or to make varietal wines, although Mantuo Castellano Castellano um, and Matuo de Pilas sherries won't be released until the grapes are added to Spain's National Register of Wine Grape Varieties. Hopefully sometime by next year. The, the listeners cannot watch Jason absolutely collapsing in laughter. <laughs> I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The article continues, Jason. According to Saldana... Okay, okay pro-level, pro-level. Go on, yes. <laughs> According to Saldana... Vir Vigiri will be the As an American I feel like I should be able to nail these names, you know, like anyway. According to to Saldana, Vigiriega will be this development's real protagonist. Quote, we're still researching these varieties, but most probably the previously mentioned grape will play a major role here as it seems to respond. (laughs) The previously mentioned grape. Oh, they put that on a label. The previously mentioned grape varietal. The grape varietal formerly known as Vigiriega. Um. Oh, gosh. Drink of water. We're still researching these varieties, but most, <laughs> but most probably Vigiriega will play a major role here as it seems to respond well to prolonged periods of drought and climactic change is increasingly affecting our region, he says. For the mm-hmm. first time this year, we've picked Palomino grapes in July 28th to be spe- specifically. The previous record was 4th of August. Look at what climate change is doing to that crop. That's, that's, it, yeah. that's amazing. Yep, no doubt about it. Alongside an answer to the increasingly drier climate, the wider ampelographic portfolio taps into sommeliers and wine professionals' growing fascination towards indigenous varieties. Quote, mm-hmm. I came across vineyards of older grape varieties there, and I was really excited, says Tamers. Quote continues, ours is a very geeky market. We're at the top end of the niche. That's what our customers want. Right? Isn't that, isn't that a nice comparison to to who buy single cast nation whiskeys, to who listens yep. to this podcast? At the top of that That's Exactly geeky what niche. I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's just said the right words for whiskey lovers who are dipping their toe into this episode. Yeah, yeah, yep. Spot yeah. on. Andalusia's v- 
Viticultural Research Center Rancho de la Merced has been experimenting with these varieties, and so are the winemakers, including the Manifesto 119 Collective of Winemakers. I'm not familiar with that. An undertaking that originated from the very intent to resurrect the region's forgotten grape varieties. Quote, it's something that was needed, says Jordi Peronea, the wine director of Washington, D.C.-based Jose Andreas Group that that I know you're familiar with, Jason. Mm -hmm. Quote, I'm good friends with the winemakers Willie Perez and Ramiro Ibanez of Manifesto 119. They are pioneers of going back to the roots and understanding the varieties that are most adapted to the region. Having local grape varieties is a good selling point. It'll be good to be able to say to a guest that sherry is not just about Palomino Fino. So next headline is, or next subheader is, a spiritless sherry. And this is where they're going to be talking about fortification. Yeah, this is going to be wild. Yeah. The new regulations also end the mandatory fortification of sherry. In 2019, a proposal to allow the production of unfortified sherry was submitted for consideration, yet withdrawn shortly after. Quote, at that time, the Spanish ministry recommended waiting until we could submit all our proposals in just one document, explains Saldana. <laughs> the quote continues. Uh, so we, no one got time to read multiple documents. Just stick them in one, put it under the door. <laughs> we'll get to it. Semadonna. Ain't nobody got time for that. Quote continues. So we withdrew it because we wanted to reach a consensus in 2021 on this broader set of modifications. The article continues. Unfortified wines were common across the region before the addition of grape spirit became the norm from around the 18th century onward. (laughs) Rather than to revive a historical practice, however, Tamers, who already imports some of the region's unfortified bottlings, believes that these sherry's appeal lies in their enhanced sense of place. Quote, we really need to start thinking of the terroir, he says. Unfortified sherry is an amazing concept. I think it's a great development. We will definitely bring them in. So far, we've considered them as sherry, even if they're not when talking to our customers, but it will be an added bonus if it says sherry on the label. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Unlike other regulations, this change needs final EU approval to become law which is expected to happen between January and February of next year. Quote, we've already spoken to the relevant EU authorities and they anticipate no problem, says Saldana. And here's, a, here's another subhead, subheader for you, Jason. A more premium offering. Hmm. Additional proposed modifications, such as the new Fino Viejo category and Pajo labeling, are designed to encourage Sherry's premiumization process. Quote, all the efforts we are making are towards the younger, more educated, more involved consumers who are interested in premium sherry and value the diversity of our offering, says Saldana. Indeed, while sherry's competitive segment has been showing a steady decline across America 
and other key markets, the region's higher-end offering displays promising signs of growth. In 2006, sales of the pale cream, medium, and cream sherry categories generally associated with the lower end of the sherry market amounted to nearly 80% of all imported DO wine from that region. Last year, the figure had dropped to 68% to the benefit of Jerez's most premium offerings. That's interesting. Quote, Sherry has never been an easy category, but but rather than simplify it, houses are doing the opposite, Saldani admits, uh, explaining the rationale behind much of the new regulations. Quote continues, they're complicating their portfolio because that's what wine aficionados want. The revival that we are experiencing in some markets is paradoxically due to making sherry even more complicated. And that is the end of the article, Jason. That's the end. I feel like we just started. I know, right? That was a really, a really intriguing <laughs> article, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I've, I have more questions. <laughs> really? That's the end of the article? That's the end of the article. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back in the second half, and we'll riff our socks off. table in the first half there with this article about (laughs) and I'm still reeling from the ending of it which is I didn't think we were going to end up in a place where they would get out of there on sherry being more complicated right I, I thought there might be a little exposition on why fortification and then why a potential move away from fortification, right? My, my understanding being that the, the grape spirit is added to get the yeast to stop fermenting and then the yeast fall out of mm-hmm. that wine. Mm-hmm. So that would just happen... Naturally, that would happen in another way. That would be, like, so, what would we get from from a sherry that's not fortified? I, I was hoping the article might yeah. say, a, say a few more words on that. If I'm understanding it correctly, I, I think I think you should word it a different way. They're they're not getting away from fortification. Rather, it sounds like they're including other wines. Yeah, yeah, the, happen, the mandatory right, fortification. Yeah, they're is removing going the the. the the mandate, but what they're saying here is, here's the sherry producing region, which we're expanding. And we're saying any wine, fortified or not, that comes out of this region that uses this expansion of grapes is considered a sherry. And and, and I like what you said here, right? We, we get to the end of the article and now you're left with questions. How are they going to rework that, right? I mean, there's so many great Spanish wines out there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just start off with Rioja, right? Mm-hmm. 
Now, obviously, the Rioja grape is not mentioned here, and so there will be no no Riojas coming from Jerez. But my point is, Rioja is a wine coming out of Spain. It sounds like these grapes, if they just happen to make a wine coming out of that region from one of those six new grapes, it can be called a sherry. But that's when the question comes in. How are they going to, with this new complicated system... How are they going to educate their consumers on Mm -hmm. the difference between fortified, unfortified, yet still both are sherry? That, you know, it's it's interesting that they would take this approach, given what we've seen in, in the whiskey world where... There's some marketing companies that that seem to take the easier approach of dumbing some things down in certain areas Mm -hmm. to make it easier for the consumer. While those in Hareth are saying, no, 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 we we need to really expand this, put some more facets in here, and begin the education. Which, if you're looking to attract a new audience, mm-hmm. sometimes that overcomplication can can make it harder to bring them into the fold because then it seems like, oh, I need to know so much about this before I can enjoy it. I, I wonder if they'll come at it from the opposite direction and say, let's pour some fun things and talk about them. Tell me if you like it and then let's talk about how did that come to be? How did that come to be in a bottle? Yeah. The potentially controversial, and I use this with a with a small c, the the potential controversial portion of this is we've come to know sherry as something specific mm. and those specific processes and those specific grapes and that specific region. And I, I on one hand, I like them opening the doors, mm-hmm. right? Well, it doesn't just have to be that. On the other hand, they're not turning over something that came into play in the last couple of decades, right? When yeah. they say 18th century practices there, like that's significant. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things you and I've talked about through Extra Extra for different reasons is, well, we shouldn't let tradition be a barrier to new ways of thinking or new ways of responding to certain environmental needs. And climate change got mentioned quite briefly in that article Mm. as well. So I'm I'm a little bit between a rock and a hard place where I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe we need to think about things differently. Maybe we need to talk about, maybe we need to produce things differently. Mm. But what does that mean for sherry that's meant something for three centuries. Yeah, I, yeah, you're not wrong here, right? I get what, that what, a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, I think from this, there's some good possibilities. There's some good things to come for these traditional sherry producers that have been producing in a style that, yes, dates back three centuries. Like, if these new regulations are put into place, and it sounds like they they will be with with very little barrier, yeah, 
think about the freedom that it gives producers like Lustau, right? Like Valdespino, like like all of these sherry producers who can now say, you know what? We're no longer tied to using the Palomino Fino grape. We're no longer tied to having to fortify all of our wines. We can create other wines that could bring people into our brand and then create a hierarchy, maybe not a hierarchy, but create a different range of, of wines for consumers to enjoy. And if they came in because we we had a, a more standard, not standard, but we had a, a more traditional style of wine that lives outside of Herath, now produced within Herath, well, I mean, think about what we do with, with whiskey, right? You know, you, you discover a new distillery, and if you're new to whiskey, you say, well, let me try their reserve cask. Their, mm-hmm. You know, and say, oh, okay, that was, that was kind of good. I liked that. Let me see what their 10-year-old is, is like, right? And, and so, so I do like that. On top of it, I wonder if some producers who are within Hareth producing non-fortified wines giving them the ability to call their wine a sherry would do the opposite of what Lestau and these others are doing. Where Maybe we can get into fortification. Maybe we can create our own range. You know, I think, I think about some of the conversations I've had with Tal from M&H and, you know, they're using a multitude of casks from, from the wineries in Israel. And a lot of these wineries, it's, just a standard practice that they're creating fortified wines and non-fortified wines to cater to their consumers. And and that's been successful for them. So maybe that same application on Jerez will be successful to these Spanish producers. Well, I, I can't help but think about the, the elephant in the room, which for us as whiskey consumers, first and foremost... Mm-hmm. And with whiskey listeners, first mm. and foremost, mm-hmm. the the elephant in the room is the sherry industry is on the bones of its arse, right? People are not buying sherry in anywhere near enough numbers for this industry to be sustaining. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder what kind of response, I, I wonder what part of this response is responding to, and we did hear it a couple of times in the article, younger drinkers, right? Mm. Sherry, and we've talked about this plenty of times. Sherry is what your granny drinks at Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. You know that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I know that's wrong, mm-hmm. right? Yep. My granny's dead. She's not drinking anything at Christmas, right? It's it's not an old person's drink. It's an incredibly delicious drink that has a very real position and, and a role to play in the 21st century. And we've tried telling people that, and, and I'm sure listeners, some listeners of this podcast have tried telling people mm, that, mm-hmm. but it still kind of exists there. So how do you really get away from your consumer thinking that? How about you offer them something that's sherry that your granny has never even heard of? And you say, that's yours. That's yours to discover. Come yeah. on in the door, taste this, make this yours. We, we've got a, a slightly different version of that going on in the US with bourbons. Okay. Where bourbon was, 
your grandpa's drink. Mm. And so then the generation under grandpa wasn't really drinking it, wasn't really excited about it. But grandpa's grandkids kind of discovered it for themselves and started taking ownership. And there are still some distilleries that are considered grandpa's distillery. But if you stay away from that as a younger person, you're like, this is my distillery over here. Let Mm -hmm. me tell you about this distillery. So we have seen those generational shifts when doors have been opened and, and consumers have walked right through them. And I'm I'm trying not to be my, my usual nervous Nelly self. <laughs> and I'm trying to embrace the goodness of, look, the things that you love to drink, Jason, are not going away. Those will still be available to you. Go ahead, fill your boots, drink away. If you want to go and explore these non-fortified sherries, go for it. You mm. don't want to there's going to be young people quite happily walking in the door to try it. So I'm trying to understand the the larger lay of the land. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking ahead a bit on whiskey producers sourcing sherry casks, right? You've got, to date, if, if McAllen... Glen Alkey, Tam Du, you know, insert Glen Farkless. Glen Farkless, insert Speyside Distillery here that happens to use sherry cask for you know predominant, predominantly yeah. for their whiskey production. There, you. Uh, <laughs> well said. <laughs> well, uh, you know, in, 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 the two. <laughs> in the past, and especially in the more modern past. It's been casks that have been seasoned with Oloroso or PX and then sold to whiskey producers because no one was drinking the sherry. And now they're producing, will be producing new styles of sherry, unfortified, different grapes. My guess is they'll, they'll figure out the logistical component you know, when it comes to sourcing these sherry casts to know exactly what kind of sherry, because you can all you can already request, hey, I want Amontillado casks, I want Fino mm-hmm. casks. I guess my question to you... <laughs> Whoa, nobody saw a question coming out of this build-up, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> my question to you is, with the expansion of what, can be sherry (laughs) coming out of Hareth, Mm -hmm. that will likely affect the types of casks coming into Scotland for maturing whiskey. Mm -hmm. What do you think that, how do you think that's going to shape the flavor of whiskey moving forward with these new styles? Do Do you think over a period of time, we're going to see simply see more and more wine casks being used and palates changing over a a ten year period. What 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 is it going to look like? You and I already expected to see more wine casks coming into the industry. That is true. Because even as you as you rightly said earlier on this episode, sherry is wine. We just spend time calling it sherry and everything else wine. And we know many, many people, and we've been among this number, who say, I like sherry. I like Oloroso maturation. I like PX maturation. I don't like Bordeaux. I don't like Burgundy, right? In, insert terms here. Yeah. 
we know that it's harder and harder to source good Oloroso and good PX. It's harder and harder to source those casks that held those mm-hmm. sherries mm-hmm. and weren't just seasoned with those sherries. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, and again, you know, in, in response to my, my nervous Nelly nature, I've tried to embrace good wood that brings good flavors, mm-hmm. right? And and it's okay if we're expanding the palate. It's okay if we're expanding the wines that are being used here. So on one hand, I already see us moving in that direction of mm-hmm. there's going to be more wine flavors to discuss and describe here. If you're now going to take the sherry industry and you're going to you know, take away mandatory fortification, you're going to reintroduce six grapes. I was genuinely excited as you were reading that article and Mm. that was an opportunity. That was on the table. My one question is, do they bring good flavour? Do they work with whiskey? And if they do, I'm more than willing. You know, we've we've gone back and forth on this with with Amanda over at, at VDC, Virginia Distillery Company, about Fino and Jim Swan liking phenol casks. Mm-hmm. Not everybody in the industry likes phenol yeah, casks for whiskey. What's Amanda been learning? Well, it starts out kind of slowly. Not only does it not give you much influence, it's giving you an influence that's not particularly palatable. It's not really what you're looking for your spirit to do. But give it time. Play the waiting game. Let it return to you. Mm-hmm. And Fino Sherry can do some good things with your spirit, yeah. depending on how your spirit is built. So there's a bit of re-education going on yeah. there. There's a bit of getting out ahead of the story and making sure that you're telling consumers, here's what we see here. You know, if you bottle this Fino too soon, you're not going to get a product that you're overly enthusiastic about. If we wait a bit longer, we think we're going to start giving you some flavors that you like. And I'm not just isolating VDC here. The Colholman Fino cask. Um, yeah. I've I've talked on and off about my tasting society up in the up in the Palouse in the inland northwest. They didn't particularly like that mm-hmm. uh, that release. When you were first telling me about it, you were saying, you know, it takes a little bit to breathe. You know, it takes a little bit to come yeah. to you. Yep. Right. That doesn't make it a bad whiskey, and I certainly don't think it was a poor release from Kilhoman. No. It just means you need a bit of a story there. You need, as we covered in the article, that education happening there to say, look, this isn't a slam dunk like an Oloroso or a PX. It's not ruby red in the bottle. You're not drinking it with your eyes already, right? It's a fino. It's a softer sherry. It's going to come at you a bit more gradually. It's a floral sherry. It's going to be gradual here. Go exploring these parts. And I think with this expansion that we're talking about today, there's going to be education for the whiskey consumer as well as the sherry consumer. I also think that there's going to be education for the whiskey producer. And back to your point, right, about fino. And let's compare... The Kilhoman Fino, which was a Fino finish, I don't think it was full. I don't think it was fully matured. I think it was a Fino finish um, compared to our Glen Murray seven-year-old that was seven years mm. in Fino, and you had mm-hmm. two very different whiskeys. Now, granted, the spirit starts off different, obviously, 
but they are too, like, it's clear our Fino was doing something quite different than what Kilhoman's Fino is doing. My point is, Fino is so rarely used. There, there's a lot of other sherry styles that aren't Oloroso and aren't PX that typically exactly. aren't used so much. And so producers like uh, um, like Amanda was saying, well, she figured out that if you let it sit in cask longer, it's, it's doing something right. different. And so earlier when I said, what is this going to look like for the industry 10 years down the road? It could be far longer than that. Think about the Japanese yeah. using Mizunara <laughs> oak and them finding out, oh, it really, you really need three years worth for this to not be a, um, you know, a difficult to drink product. And after three years, magic starts to happen, right? So it's going to be a long learning process and, and it'll give us all as consumers time to let our palate evolve around these changes that these, these casks will put upon the spirit. Yeah. The, the final thing I would say, and then we can, we can start getting out of here in our tight 35 is on the face of it, mm-hmm. Sherry, just simply Sherry as it exists now coming out of her earth, it seems kind of complicated, right? Okay, how does the Amontillado fit in with the Manzanilla, fit in with the Fino, fit in with the Oloroso and the PX, and fit in with the cream, right? Mm -hmm. When you go there, and like you said on on our episode of One Nation Under Whiskey when we're at Lestau, when you go there and you see the cast and you get like, okay, here's here's the base process here, and then we step it up by doing that, and then we step it up by doing that, and then we introduce a different grape over here, you go, okay, there's about six or eight things I have to keep in my head. Mm-hmm. I think even I can keep six or eight things in my head. But it's just having that opportunity to have it crisply explained that allows you to then carry forth with that knowledge. Yeah. And I think, as we're hearing today, the, the education is going to get a little bit more complicated here. But if they can keep a crisp delivery... And they can let the consumer leave a tasting, a presentation, or what have you, holding six or eight things in their head, mm-hmm. they're going to have success. And if they don't get ahead of that education, they won't. Speaking of crisp deliveries, you want to end our episode there? <laughs> this is one of our crisper episodes. <laughs> if you... If you If you, like Ian Bruce, would like to reach out to us, uh, you can get us at questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com, not Ian Whiskey, or you can drop us a note, info at singlecastnation.com, and it will make its way to us. You can find somebody on social media who will tie a note to a a racing pigeon, and that'll make it to us as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, information gets to us, not always quickly, not always efficiently but it gets to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you're, if you're one of the many in the U.S. celebrating Thanksgiving, we wish you a very happy one. If you're dotted around the rest of the world, we hope you have a good Thursday and continue to enjoy your November. Uh, we'll be back the next time with another round of this silliness and nonsense. Until then, Joshua. Until then, dear listeners. Thank you. And peace. Peace.